So I'm excited about what's coming this fall. I'm excited to kick off our The Struggle is Real series after Labor Day. I think I'm excited for Labor Day weekend. I hope some of you will show up next weekend. Our volunteer list, we got like every volunteer normally scheduled was like, uh, we're going away for the weekend. So I don't know, it might be me and Chris. I hope you'll join us next Sunday. It's going to be pretty great as we transition into the fall. But today we're going to wrap up this Exodus journey. It has been actually 12 weeks going through this story that we know, and we know a lot of the parts, we know a lot of the pieces. Maybe the summer's been great because you fit them together. Maybe uh, this summer has been great because you just have gone deeper into this uh, story that shades and foreshadows so much of what is going to happen throughout the rest of God's story and his plan for redemption. So we're going to draw a lot of things together here today. Let me start with this. One of my, this is, this is actually, this might be one of my top 10, you know, pastor stories uh, of all. It was while we were planting Connections Church up in Canada, and we were in this great neighborhood, and it was just a season of life where God just really blessed us while our kids were younger, and we had all these neighbors with young kids around us. Just, just I hope you have a season like that in your life. Just everything kind of came together in that neighborhood great. And then this new family moves into the neighborhood, Ryan and Carrie, and they had two young kids as well. That's why they wanted to get there. And we all just hit it off, and we were all getting along, and I'm the weird pastor in the neighborhood, so some people like that. Some people don't know what to make of that. Well, they start to get to know us, and next thing you know, they come and they visit church, and they're having a good experience of it. And then they come to our connection group in our home, and that's where things really start to take off, because they can ask questions, they can interact, and we can pray for them. And they start to have a genuine spiritual awakening, and then I had the privilege of baptizing their kids, and, and, and it was great. But as they were getting started on that journey, we get a call one day, and it's from Carrie, and she says, hey, I'm at the, the Christian bookstore up, up the road, and I've noticed, like, everybody kind of brings their Bible. We are old school, you know, a couple of years ago, we actually had Bibles with pages, not just online and on the phones. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she's like, I want to get one of these Bibles. And so she says, I notice there's some that are just this thing called the New Testament, and then there's some that have this Old Testament and this New Testament. Which one should I get? And we said, you should just get one of these ones called a study Bible, probably one called the NIV study Bible would be a good one, and make sure you get one with the old and the new. And she's like, oh, great. So it's kind of like a two-for-one deal, right? And we're like, exactly. It is your two-for-one deal. You want both the old and the new. Maybe you've heard this expression before. If not, here's an expression. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There's a lot of truth behind that statement. There's a lot of truth behind the story of God's plan of redemption, starting with the old and leading into the new. And what the new, what the old, I'm sorry, was conceal isn't the best word. What, what, what the old was foreshadowing, what the old was pointing towards would be revealed in the new. And to fully understand and go deep into the new, we have to have some reference points from the old. There's a story about Jesus after Easter, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
people don't all know that he's resurrected yet. Everything is kind of in chaos, and Jesus begins to appear to some of the disciples. And there's this story about him going along this Emmaus road, and two disciples are walking along, and Jesus appears to them. But there must have been some mystery about this because they they didn't know it was Jesus yet. And they're walking along, and Jesus kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's leading them on what's, why the down faces, kind of a, kind of a conversation. Don't you know, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about what has happened? There's this guy, Jesus, we thought he might have been the Christ, but now he's dead, and we don't know what to do. And then Jesus says this to them, <clears throat> excuse me, so this would be in Luke uh, chapter 24, I'm going to read just a couple verses here. He, that is Jesus, said to them, you got to love how nice Jesus is to, to everybody. He's just so polite. How foolish you are, <laughs> and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And, and here's our key verse, and beginning with, who have we been talking about the last 12 weeks? And beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. We've all had this icebreaker conversation in a group or maybe in a Bible study, and somebody will pitch it out there. You know, if you could go back and experience one event in history, if you could have anybody over for dinner and ask them anything, you know, there are fun questions to consider how we live our lives. You know, there's a couple just obvious contenders, like maybe you would want to be there for the Passover and experience that. Maybe you'd want to be there for going through the Red Sea. Maybe you'd want to be there uh, when the walls came down at Jericho. You know, I'm kicking out some, you know, Sunday school stories here for you. Let me throw this into the mix. Maybe this is it. Maybe if you would have one moment that you could go back to and you could be privy to a conversation as it unfolds, this might be it. Oh, to have been with them and to heard then from Jesus how he explained everything, starting with Moses and going through the prophets, how it was all pointing towards him. In fact, I'm going to say this. This might actually not just be kind of uh, the dinner party conversation that you want to be a part of. Uh, this might be the most frustrating verse in all of the Bible because I'm like, why didn't you write it all down? <laughs> oh, to have heard this conversation. But we can have this conversation ourselves because we know that Jesus is the key. Somebody tell me, Jesus is the key. All right, you're paying attention. We're already engaging here, friends. Jesus is the key to unlocking and understanding the story of God's plan for redemption, how it was pointing to him all along and looking back through him, it all starts to make sense. Let, let me say this, though, before we go any deeper. If, if you just get Jesus, that's enough. Let's not complicate things. Let's not confuse things. Let's not create this tiered faith system of, of status or standing. Jesus is 
enough because Jesus is everything. If you get Jesus, you've got it all, friends. If your faith is at this place, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Praise be to God, you can have life in Jesus. And I love that we can tell that to a child, and a child can believe in faith that God loves them and gave his son for them, and they can live forever with him. Praise be to God. Amen, friends? But if you accept that gift, and especially maybe if you accept that gift at a young age, that gift is so good you want to learn about it. And you want to go deep into it. It's funny that John can wrap up the whole gospel in that one verse at the beginning of his story, and then the last verse of John, it's not going to appear on screen, don't worry, the last verse says, oh, if everything about Jesus were written down, the books would fill the earth. We can never get to the bottom of exploring the depths of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can live into it for the rest of your life. So let's make that clear. If you get Jesus, amen. But if you want to go deeper now, this is what this series has been all about. We have been going back into the Exodus story, and we've been seeing, here's how I want to phrase it for you, the echoes of the Exodus now resounding throughout all of Scripture. That's far too poetic for me to have come up with. I read that in a, in a book. I just got to give credit where credit is due. But we begin to hear these echoes of the Exodus now resounding all the way through Scripture. And then as we're going to look then in the second half of the message today, we're going to see Jesus reaching back into the Exodus to help explain and help people understand who he is and the deliverance, the salvation, the redemption that he is offering now as a gift. But as we begin to look into this, or, well, I shouldn't say as we begin, as we end now this story of the Exodus, these echoes, I hope, we'll hear all over the place. We'll see them, it's just going to be like all over the scriptures now for all of us for Ever. We're going to see it all over, and I want to make that, I want to draw that out for you this morning. Um, it's, like, it's like this. You know, in, in life, um, I just had like these like numerous car issues again, but isn't it funny how like you go and you get a car, and you think maybe you're like the only one in this car, and then all of a sudden you look around and you realize everybody has this car. Isn't that, like, it's such a weird experience. You're like, you're like, oh, look at that shirt. I'll be so unique. And then, like, everybody's wearing that shirt. You know, you know, like, we have these interesting experiences where we get something. We're aware of something. We get this car. We get this shirt. And then we see it all over. That, that's what I want to have happen for us with this Exodus story. And now that we know it, we are going to have this reference point for understanding so much of what is going to happen throughout the scriptures, and especially so much of what happens throughout Jesus's ministry. Let's make this our reference point. Oh, I get it now. He's pulling from that Exodus story to help us understand his life. See, I knew, I knew academically that the Exodus story was foundational to the ark, the story ark, the storyline of Scripture. I knew intellectually, I knew academically that this is the story that defines Judaism, their hope and their desire for, for, for a final deliverer and, and, and their redemption. I, I knew this stuff academically, but now after the summer, I, I just know it more intimately. In, in, in fact, I might even, I might say this, I'm, I'm shocked that it took me this long to preach this systematically through Exodus, because now that I've done it, 
it, it's just, it's all over. I mean, I can't open up the New Testament now and not be like, there's the Exodus. Oh, there's the Exodus. Oh, there's the Exodus. So, does that make sense now? Does that make sense? So, so we live into this story now. So this is what I want to do for us. I want to spend the first part of this message now. That was all introduction. Now I'm about to get into the message. So again, so in the first part, we're going to dive back into these stories where we saw where we see Christ sort of concealed and then we're going to send the second half and looking at Christ and how he reveals the meaning of all this and I'm going to do this is simply put by walking us back through some of these messages now I I'm just going to say this uh, I need to remember these things and so we're just going to have a few minutes if you'll indulge me of remembering because it's at the top of your bulletin so much of worship there is to reveal we could also say to remember to respond and to rejoice so let's reveal and let's remember this storyline that we've gone through in the exodus journey we started with week one and we started with the divine detour at the very beginning there's this sense of oh why are they even in egypt the promise was given to a man named abram that god would make him into a nation and that through that nation would come the blessing to all of the people and yet we understand that this was all part of god's sovereign plan to grow his people into a nation and then deliver them into the promised land and right at the very outset we said this is going to point to the blessing that has come to us now its fulfillment for us in jesus christ and that jesus christ was the one who makes the ultimate detour on our behalf the detour from heaven to earth from glory to humanity uh, from the sacred to this secular if we would even explain it that way jesus made this divine detour so that he could reconnect and reconcile a relationship through himself with god to us to him and so we stepped into the detour of the Exodus with Moses pointing us to Jesus. Week two, we actually finally met Moses. We finally get to meet this guy Moses. And now while the story is really about God and God fulfilling his plan, his purpose, his promise, he's going to use Moses. And throughout the story, we're going to see these echoes that are going to point towards Jesus, that Moses was born under this sort of tyranny uh, where, where, where the king was, you know, killing the Hebrew babies and Jesus is under oppression in his birth as Herod seeks to have him sought. Moses would find deliverance up out of Egypt just as Joseph is warned in a dream and they escape to Egypt from which Jesus comes out and then launches into his ministry. We're seeing these echoes all along, but again, already we see where Moses will fall short time and time again jesus will be faithful throughout moses will fall short but jesus will always be faithful what i loved about that message though in those first two first two chapters is it's really about the women don't forget that part of the message it's really about moses's mom listening to god moses's sister being a part of the plan the midwives obeying god even pharaoh's daughter rejecting her father's own will to kiss the kill the babies who saves this baby moses and so likewise we see in jesus he was surrounded by women and partnership and ministry with him so i just love that part of the story got to throw that one out there then we get to the land between we meet moses we're all excited we think he's going to be awesome and he 
drops the ball. I mean, he falls on his face. Remember, he takes matters into his own hand. He actually murders. Uh, he flees for his own life. And we just think, is this like the end of the story for Moses? It's not. God uses that. God is preparing him through that. He's in this land between. And of course, we see that Jesus goes through a land between. He doesn't need 40 years of preparation. He just needs 40 days. He goes into the desert himself, and God launches him out into ministry. Again, what is foreshadowed, what we begin to see in Moses, is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> then we go with Moses to his do-over. Moses gets this do-over at the burning bush. He has this experience where God is calling him back into his calling to be the deliverer. And at this point, he is a humbled man. That little journey we went through, Moses, was this. You know, at first he thinks he's somebody, and then he thinks he's a nobody. And then he realizes what God can do with a nobody who gives everything to God. So this begins this redemption in Moses' own life, a humbled man, an obedient man, who can now be a leading man for God and his people. And it happens at that burning bush experience, and I loved it how we kind of kicked off our shoes and we went on to holy ground, and we went to worship God, and we went to trust in him. And so we have that happen. So God, he goes to the burning bush. And then week five, Anybody remember week five? I stood here with a, anybody, anybody? The staff, all right, it's all coming back here. This is all part of this remembering. I love that week because it was just so practical. And for years, preachers, preachers have rightly used this story as a wonderful way to show us that God puts in our hands the things that he's calling us to do and how he will use us. He just asked Moses, what's in your hand? And he's like, it's just a stick. It's a shepherd's staff. But God is like, exactly, I am going to use you as the shepherd. And I'm going to just use that stick is going to be like this focal point for this ministry, for this mission that I'm calling you to do. And we have the invitation then to look really no further than our hands, to know, are we called to this marriage covenant? If we see a ring there, if we see a child that we're walking hand in hand with, are we surrendering those children to God and raising them up in faith? You know, what is your work? Whether you're grabbing a tool or going to a keyboard or lifting a book to teach kids, that God is going to use us with the things that are in our grasp, that, that, that we really have no further to look for God's calling in our life than what is already here, because he's going to use us where we're at. And if he needs us somewhere else, if we're called to another mission, if we're called to some other field, or we're called to some other place, he's going to get us there. That's part of the assurance and the faith that we have in God, that God's going to get us where we need to go. He's going to use us there. Moses, I need you back in Egypt. I don't want to go. Not, no offense, Moses, but I don't care. <laughs> you are going to do, I'm going to get you where you need to be. I'm going to use you how I need to use you to fulfill my promise and my plan. And we have peace and assurance that God gets us where we need to be. And he's using us how he wants to use us. Just surrender it all to him. Okay, enough, enough on that one. Six was the halfway point, and, and that was maybe the hardest one to preach. Definitely the hardest one to hear because that's where we get those setbacks. As soon as we get all excited about going into ministry, as soon as Moses is like, yes, Lord, he goes to the people, and then Pharaoh just tightens the screws, 
You remember the story, then it's the strip, the, they need to keep making the bricks, but now it's bricks without straw, and then people complain, and God is saying, you know what, it, it's, it's going to get bad, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we go through those seasons of life. We do go through the valley of the shadow of death, but guess what? It's a shadow. It's a shadow of the eternal. It's the shadow of what is real. It's the shadow of God, and he will get us through those seasons. I don't, wanna, I don't even want to go back to that one in too much detail because that was the tough one to go through. But on the upside of that, then we go into this, then this movement of God taking his people through the plagues. So seven, eight, and nine was this extended journey. And we were going through those plagues, and we were seeing God's plan working its way out. And, and it was devastating at many levels, but it really pointed us to this. And this is where we really begin to see Christ in the text, because this is where the people celebrate the first Passover. The final plague, the plague of death, God is going to pass over the land, but the people are given instructions on what to do, that they would take a lamb or a goat without blemish, not the old mangy one about to die, but the best one, the beautiful one, the most beloved one. They're going to make the sacrifice. It was painful. It's confusing. It's God helping. How, how does this even work into this plan of redemption? Then you take this, this, this blood and you paint it over the doorpost and you have to eat this in haste and... And this is all pointing us very, very powerfully now, very strategic now. We're beginning to see Christ in the text, that Christ is going to be our Passover, that by his blood shed for us will be the forgiveness of our sins. By his sacrifice, we may live. By his body broken, we can have him. Uh, so we begin to see Christ in the Passover, and we continue to remember and to celebrate and to live into that every time we come to the table. And we break the bread and remember his body. When we lift the cup and remember his blood shed. Whenever we put our lives and our trust back in him as our Passover lamb, as our sacrifice, as our deliverer. So we see Christ in this in such powerful ways. And then we get out of the land and we go through the Red Sea. And we won't even go into that one. There's too much to pull back out there. But they finally go through the Red Sea. And then they're going through the land. And God is providing for them. They cry out for food, and God gives them the manna. They cry out for meat, and God sends them the quail. They are dying of thirst in the desert, and so God provides them living water from the rock that was Christ. Remember that last week when we actually went into the passage from Corinthians where it says, Christ the rock was going with the people, the water gushing out of that rock. It was evocative of Christ who would be pierced, who would be struck, and the flow of water came from, oh, are you seeing that? I'm already getting excited. I'm not even to the Jesus part, and I'm already getting too excited here, friends. There's so many Christ images starting to blossom for us as even we go through this season, and then we get to then the decrees. And, and, and I really appreciated actually some feedback and some good, great conversations I had around the law. And just this core understanding that the order matters, that before we get the decrees came the deliverance. Before we got the law came the love. And the law wasn't given to us so that we could earn God's love. It's the confirmation of God's love. I am your God. You are my people. I have set you free. I am calling you and making you my own. If you want to know how to live in right relationship with me, simply live like this. And he shows us the best way to live. And I hope we no longer see the law as oppressive, as confining, as, 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 as this God trying to keep this cosmic, you know, you know kind of killjoy, trying to keep us from abundant life, but saying, no, this is how you step into abundant life. 
This is how you live in worship with me. This is how you live in love and relationship with one another. This is the best way to live. Oh, it just pains me that people see God's decrees as, a, 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 as an oppression whenever it was really God's ultimate freedom from slavery and from oppression that people had experienced for 400 years. So God brings them through that. And then last week we get to the, to the golden calf. I know how the mighty fall, you know. I mean, right on the heels of we will do everything that the Lord says, they break like all the commands in one fell swoop. And we see ourselves so much in this text. How one day we can profess faith, and the next day we fall. How one day we are overjoyed at salvation, and the next day we're taking things in our own hands. How the one the very thing that we're praying for God to deliver to us, we grumble about <laughs> the next day. And oh, that was just so convicting to me. I mean, the ve- and, and I think, and I would think, I, I, the, the thing that you are praying for today does become the thing you are praying about later in life. You pray for kids in one season of life, and then you are praying for help <laughs> and assistance with the kids that are driving you crazy at the next level of life. You're praying for the job and the promotion at one level, and then you're praying, God, I don't know what to do with these people. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the rhythm of life that we go through, and we are called then to turn that grumbling into gratitude for God answering the prayer and going with us through it. So, again, so much. And, and, and throughout this, well, let's, well, let me get to some of the Jesus stuff. I told you at the beginning that this journey would take us from divine deliverance to the divine decrees to the divine dwelling, and I only got us up to the divine decrees and through that. So we're left with this divine dwelling. It's not an insignificant part of the Exodus story. If you actually look at the Exodus story, chapters 25 through 40 go through the creation of the tabernacle, this dwelling place for God. And it's really like these Ikea instructions from God. And I'm not saying that to be flippant. I'm just saying to put it in the context of we have this extensive and frankly difficult to understand set of instructions on how they're going to create this tabernacle where God is going to dwell with them and their instructions for how they're going to make the tent and how they're going to make the curtain to separate the holy of holies from the holy from the courtyard they're going to have instructions for the ark of the covenant and the atonement cover for the table for the bronze altar for the lampstand for the incense for the oil for the priestly garments. I'm just scratching the surface, literally. But all of this points us to the fact that this tabernacle is an extraordinarily big deal for God and for the people. And we could go to almost anywhere in the New Testament to hear these echoes throughout, but I want to point us to the Gospel of John, because I've just always had a soft spot for the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are an incredible history, and they take us through uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus, but John waits to the end of his life, and he reflects back on his own journey as the disciple who Jesus loved, and he thinks about what does he want to pass on to the people as he knows his, his life on earth is about to end, and he will see his Savior, and he starts writing and before he has, you know, much anything else out on, I was about to say paper, but out on scroll, we're going to say it this time in this age in history, before he gets just about anything else, he has this line, 
John 1, 14. Let's make sure we get that up on screen. There we go. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He sees the Word who has become flesh in Jesus Christ, and then he pulls this thought together, and we translate it dwell, because tabernacling is not a word that we use in the English. You may have heard that before, but it is really actually true that this word, katakio, is most directly translated tabernacling. <laughs> the word became flesh and made his tabernacle, made his tent, made his dwelling, made his presence with us. And that clues us in that the dwelling place of God has come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the promise to be Emmanuel, to be with us. And John just can't let it go, praise be to God. And he keeps now pulling back to these references. He keeps echoing the Exodus all throughout his story. It is literally, friends, in every chapter of his book, he then moves into the story of Jesus. And when he starts to talk about John, he says this, of all the things he could have said about the ministry of John, the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus who prepared the way, he says this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to a people who had grown up celebrating the Passover year after year after year, remembering the story the imagery is obvious. Behold the fulfillment of the Lamb who would take away all of our sins once and forever, the final sacrifice that will ever be needed. And he just won't let it go. We get into John chapter 3, where we read perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. But turn back two verses, and if you don't know the Exodus story, you're going to be profoundly confused because Jesus says to this man, Nicodemus, to whom he's explaining his life as ministry, what does he say? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. All who looked upon it were saved. All who look upon the Son of Man who will be lifted up on the cross will be saved for God. So you're like, I mean, honestly, if you don't know the Exodus story, and we actually never even unpack that one in much detail, if you don't know the Exodus story, what? A bronze snake and lift it up? But that points us back to this story where the people were grumbling and they were complaining. And these snakes come out, and the people were getting bitten. They asked for help, and God said to Moses, well, make a snake and put it up on a stick, and when people just look at the snake, all they had to do was look upon the snake, and, and they would be saved. And if I just have to keep moving through, he gets into chapter 4, and he meets this woman at a well, and she has all these questions, and Jesus begins to point to himself and explain to himself, and then she makes this great statement. She says, well... We've had a lovely conversation here. You, a Jew, and me, a Samaritan, and we're not even supposed to have a conversation like this. This has all been lovely, but here's what I know. Someday, the Christ, the Messiah, will come, and when he does, he's going to explain everything, and then that's when Jesus says it. He says, I am he. 
And then Jesus starts using this I am statement throughout the rest of his ministry that John picks up on. And every time he uses it, remember that one sermon where he talked about the commands and we talked about taking the Lord's name in vain when you say, oh my God. And you know, like, it's even like, it's like hard for me to even like say that as a preacher who's been you know, you know, trained to not take the Lord's name in vain. That was what was happening. Every time the religious people heard Jesus say, I am, they would cringe. They would do more. They would cry out and they would call him blasphemer. But it was the truth. He is the great I am. And so he begins pointing towards this. He says, and this is going to be in your bulletin now. You want to walk through this? Oh, I got to wrap this up here, friends, don't I? It says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he's out in the desert. Give me, give me, give me, give me just another minute here. He goes out in the desert and a multitude has followed him. How many followed Moses in the desert? A multitude followed them. They cried out for hunger. Jesus is out there in this desert, this multitude. It's the end of the day. The disciples say, send them away. They're hungry and they need something to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we can't give them something to eat. And Jesus, in the end of the story, basically says, it's okay. I am the bread of life. Just as the Father provided for you in the desert so many years ago when you needed manna, when you needed food, when you needed sustenance, I am the bread of life. Oh, the echoes of the Exodus. It echoes throughout the gospel whenever he says, I am the light of the world. Just as the light led them by night and the cloud by day, Jesus is the light of the world. Just as God provided an exodus from Egypt for them, Jesus says, I am the gate and I will become the pathway to eternal life. Just as God provided them a good shepherd in Moses, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. Just as they had the opportunity to step into the promise and to have a new lease on life, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I've, 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 I've bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> and I'll wrap it up for you here, friends. I pray that you hear these echoes of the Exodus throughout the ministry of Jesus and that this deepens and informs and develops your faith in Jesus Christ. But if we want to keep first things first, I simply invite you now in the close of this series as we look now ahead to the fall to make Jesus your Exodus. Jesus is our Exodus. Jesus is our escape from the sin that holds us captive. Jesus is our exodus from slavery to all that holds us back from God's best in our lives and the relationship that we were made for that we all desire to live in God. Jesus is our exodus. Jesus has become for us the deliverer. Jesus has become for us the lamb to take away the sin of the world. Jesus has become for us the fulfillment of the law and pointing us to the new law to love one another as he has loved us. And how has he loved us? He laid down his own life. Jesus is our tabernacle now because he has promised us that he will be with us always to the very end 
of the age. And so I close with this now, just as Moses, God instructed Moses to tell the people to look upon that snake, that crazy story, to look upon the snake so that they would be saved. Jesus invites us to look upon him, to look upon his sacrifice on the cross, to look upon him and be saved. You know the thing about that band, you should come up and you should get ready to lead us into some worship. You know, the thing about that story and the snake is, you know, it, it's one of those moments with God where he wasn't giving them anything really to do. They didn't have to earn that new lease on life. They didn't have to earn that forgiveness. They were crying out. They were grumbling. Things were, were, were happening. And, and, and he says to them, just look. Just look upon that snake. And they were saved. That's how good our God is. And that as the gift comes to us, friends. You don't have to earn it. Remember, we learn that in the law. You don't have to earn it anymore. Look upon the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and put your faith and your trust that he has paid it all. He has paid it all. He has paid the price, the cost of his own blood, to an eternal life for all of us. If you want to make Jesus your exodus, you can make him your exodus into new life right here and right now. If you want to pray with me, maybe you've said a prayer like this a hundred times. I don't think that offends God to keep praying this prayer <laughs> over and over again. You can just keep praying to give your life to him. But maybe you've never done anything like this before. Maybe now can be that final step of faith to look upon Jesus and to put your trust in him. Let's pray, friends. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever of us would just look upon him on that cross and recognize there is my sin being atoned for. There is the death that I deserve by the wages of my own life, Lord. But by this sacrifice that I look upon of Jesus Christ, by this sacrifice, I now want to step into new life in you, Jesus Christ. If it ended at the cross, I guess it would be over, but praise be to God, it didn't end at the cross, but the Lamb was raised to new life and defeated sin and defeated death and offers us eternity in himself. So now we look upon you, the risen, resurrected, reigning, and returning Lord Jesus Christ. Be our exodus from death, from sin, from despair, from addiction, from whatever it is that is plaguing us, God. Be our deliverer, be our redeemer, be our life, and bring us into the promises of eternity, sealed by your sacrifice. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Friends, we're going to worship God. If this is something that you want to know more about, you want to talk more about, you want to pray more about, you just grab me, you grab one of our team members, and don't let it go this morning if you need to make that connection with Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Let's worship.